All right, who needs a handout? Anybody not get one? We have one missing here. Anybody have an extra? Looks like Lindsay has an extra in the back there. Here's, oh, he did have one. Ah, shame, yeah. That's no problem. If you have your Bible, you can turn to the Gospel of Luke. We are going to be doing Luke uh, pretty much, well, the plan is all semester. I don't know how far we'll get. I did a, like a, before, during the summer I did an outline where I kind of, Work through the book, and I was like, okay, if I wanted to cover every, you know, all this different stuff, what would I cover when? And I scheduled it all out. Well, that's already out the window. So, it's, I don't know, I don't know how this is. Yeah, this is week three, and it's already done. So, it shows you how good my my, my foresight was on that. Uh, and anytime you want to get something to eat, please stand up and help yourself. Um, last week we talked about, we talked about uh, temptation, and we talked about Jesus. Um, to, uh, and his the temptation of Christ, and broke them into a couple groups and talked about that at length. And uh, today we're going to talk about instead of following Christ's example, we're going to talk about following Christ's command as going beyond the expected. And I think you'll I think you'll appreciate this particular uh, lesson. Before we get to where we're going, we have to do some catching up. So uh, let's look in chapter four. Let's go back to chapter four, verse sixteen. And we're going to see some of the things that Jesus is doing that will help get us in context of what's going on. So, starting in chapter 4, verse 16, Jesus comes to Nazareth. Now, where is Nazareth? Or what is, I should say, what is Nazareth to Jesus? Bethlehem. Yeah, okay, so, but he was born in Bethlehem. It's where he grew up. That's where he grew up. Remember, because his dad was from, not his dad, but his earthly father, Joseph, lived in Nazareth, and they traveled to Bethlehem so that he would be taxed. And that's where he was born, and then they traveled back to Nazareth. They went to Egypt, and then back to Nazareth. And when they got to Nazareth, that's where Joseph was a, a carpenter, what many people think was a stonemason, actually. Uh, someone who worked with his hands, did a lot of building. And Jesus grew up in Nazareth. So he's back in Nazareth, where he had been brought up, it says, as it was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Verse 17, the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. And this is what happened in this time. Jesus came into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, as was a, the, the opportunity of the men in the, in the synagogue. They would stand up and read from the scriptures and in hearing of people. And, and he says, he finds this passage is his place to read. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, the word anointed, that's not a word you use every day. But does anybody know what it means? Called? Sort of? Kind of? Yes, ma'am? Again? Designated? Okay, anointed. Okay, good. You're, you're dancing around it. The idea, the anointing has to do with being poured, it's like it, it has to be, what happened when the king was anointed, they would pour oil on his head to symbolize the, pour, the pouring of God's spirit upon that person. And the word anointed actually is the word Messiah. God's anointed is the word Messiah. It's the same word we get, and we get the word Christ from. It means chosen. It means, so, yes. What is the actual word? Uh, Mashiach. Mashiach. Um, if you know Hebrew, it's Mashiach, like that. Mashiach. And if you know Greek, it's Christos, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-S. And that looks like what? Christ. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus the Messiah. 
Okay. Okay? Jesus the chosen one. Jesus the anointed one. Right? So here he's saying the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He has selected me. I am the Messiah to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release of the captives and recovery of the sight of the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable or the acceptable year of our Lord. Now, the interesting thing uh, about this particular passage, and I'm not going to get into a ton of detail, but if you want to study this stuff, there is tons of material here, is that he stops in the middle of a sentence. Because the next sentence is the day of vengeance for our God. And we know that the day of vengeance for our God, if we read the book of Revelation, is coming. It's yet to come. So Jesus is saying, because the next verse, he closed the book at that point and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and all the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. Verse 21, he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I have come, I have been anointed, I am here to do these things, to preach and to do all these things, to free those who are enslaved. He did, he's like a mic drop, <laughs> to be reverent. He, he closed the book. Boom. It wasn't actually a book, it was a scroll, but he closed it. He, 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 it's, not, it's, not as, yeah, it's not a big boom sound like I just did. But um, he does an amazing, uh, an amazing moment here where he, he says, this is what I've come to do. There's emphasis here on preaching. So um, the first thing that happens is that Jesus uh, gets some positive responses. He gets some positive responses all the way through verse 22. Uh, they were speaking well of him and wondering what gracious words which they had fallen from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? But then he goes off on them. Jesus does. And there are some negative responses. He then says, you're going to tell me, uh, physician, heal yourself. And truly, truly, I say to you, verse 24, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. And he gives a couple examples of where God chose to bless a Gentile that's not a Jew over the Jewish people. And where is he when he's saying this? In a what? In a Jewish town. In a Jewish, not only that, he's standing in a, in a synagogue. synagogue, which is where the Jews collect to talk about it. And he's talking about how they rebelled against God and God went to the Gentiles. And they get very angry at Jesus. It says in verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage and they heard these things and they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of a hill on which the city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. It's kind of an interesting way of saying that somehow he got away. And uh, I don't, we don't really know. That's just a very, very interesting way of saying it. So very negative response. That's it. Uh, we also have Jesus' power of the spiritual realm. There's a story here about some spirits who are possessing a man, and they say, let us alone, um, Jesus of Nazareth, that you've come to destroy us. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Uh, that's in verse uh, 34 of chapter 4. So we have demons proclaiming that Jesus is who he says he is. Then, then he actually goes in, and, and Jesus uh, declares, um, let's see here, that's coming up still. He... He went and he healed Simon's mother. Then in the here, <clears throat> excuse me, in verses 42 to 44, he gives his, his purpose. Verse 43, he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities, for I was sent for this purpose. So he preached to all the synagogues in Judea. So he's, his goal, one of his purposes, or his big purpose, that he says, I have come to preach to proclaim the message. So keep that in mind. Jesus is going out to proclaim. So what we have in front of you 
um, is uh, Luke chapter 5. And we've got several scenes that Jesus starts, so we're going to start to investigate in the next few weeks. And this first scene is what I've entitled Fishers of Men, and that's the, the way it's rendered in a lot of the, uh, in the older translation. And we're going to look right at the top of this Jesus' teaching. Jesus, remember, his goal is to preach. So who, who wants to read? We have a couple, three verses here. Uh, Luke 5, 1 through 3, and we can have three, three verses read. Go ahead and read it for us nice and loud. And follow along on your paper or on the, on the board. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of... Uh, Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught people from the boat. Okay. What does this reveal to you about Jesus? I'm just, this is going to be a little bit different because we have such a small passage today. We're not going to break up into smaller groups. This is going to be much more conversational. I'm going to ask you questions, and I want you to think. And I want you to try to respond. There are, there are. I'm not one of those people who says there's no such thing as a wrong answer, but I'm not going to like shut you down. Okay, so I'll try to let you down gently. So it's okay to be wrong, and just try, just try to see what you get. Yes. What What does this reveal about Jesus? Okay. Oh, you have a question? I'm sorry. Is that what you're saying? Okay, so I'm trying to get the picture in my head. So yeah. Basically, just hopped up on one of the boats. Did he know Simon at this time? Yes, he did. Because if you look uh, right before this, um, Simon's mother-in-law, his his wife's, no, it's not the same mother, was suffering from a high fever, and he healed. Her. So he did know Simon. He had he had familiarity with Simon, but Simon was not a sought disciple yet. Cool. All right. So I didn't know if he was hopping on some stranger's boat. Nope. And the Bible's just like, oh, by the way, his name was Simon. Okay, so he hopped on the boat like, hey, Simon, why did he want distance from the people? Is it so that the people could get a better view of him? What, what do y'all think? He wants to quick escape? That's, I mean, that's an interesting question. Yes. you know, he always evades him. I kind of I look at it as if they're pressing against him so hard that he was wanting to make it where he could still teach them, but this may be like, like the wrong answer. He didn't want to just get knocked in the water or... or <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't want really to tell us. Uh, you can use your imagination somewhat, but there are things that are very explicit in this text. So let's just be like really obvious. What are some obvious things this tells us about what Jesus's ministry, how it's going, what's going on? Yeah, Jake. Um, like one of the things I see from it is that he—I don't want to say that he was simple in his ministry, but like he doesn't do anything. Like he just gets in a boat and he talks to the people around him. He doesn't make a big show out of it. He doesn't go to uh, a, a high place, quote unquote, in the town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a simple place. Yeah. To, to He's almost, yeah. And, and what, what I'm, I'm getting more simpler than that. He's popular. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like people are following him. He's got a huge following. Jay makes a very good point. All of you are making very good points, but you're like thinking on second and third level. I kind of want us to think very like. Like, let's get very simple here, because I think sometimes when we we, for, we get we sometimes we jump beyond the simple and we actually um, can miss something. Uh, while the crowd was pressing in on him, that means that Jesus is trying to talk and he's trying to move, and the crowds are trying to get in. Have you ever seen those soccer matches in like Brazil when they when they lose and they storm the field and people die because they get stampeded? Have you seen? Have you seen that on the news? That happens on Walmart Black Friday. That's probably a better cultural example than. Brazil, most of you are like, I don't know, soccer, Brazil, what are you talking about? Okay, I don't watch soccer either. I think it's a communist sport, so I think that. I'm just, <laughs> I just made enemies of like half of you. 
I'm just kidding. Okay, I'm kidding. It's fine. It's fine. Just, it's a joke. You're wearing a red shirt, man. Yeah, but it's not commie red. It's not commie red. All right, um, let's get back to Jesus. Uh, he's standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's just the, the Sea of Galilee. It's just the area. That's, it's called it's the Sea of Galilee. Here it's called Gennesaret. It's the same. It's just like if you uh, use a different word for the same thing. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. What does that tell us about these fishermen? They're working, or are they working? Yes, yes but they are finished with their work. They're washing. But they're nets. done. Yes. yes. You fish because you're washing your nets because you're done fishing for the night. When you're done fishing, when you guys uh, fish, how do you fish? I don't. With a rod and reel, on a boat, and it's pretty, pretty nice. You pay money to go out and fish, deep sea fishing. Well, I mean, people pay money to do that. Hey, okay. Do, can you imagine ways in which fishing would have been different in Jesus' time than it would be today? Yeah. Okay, it was their livelihood. These were fishermen. That's what they did for a living. What else? Like, they had to get large amounts at a time. It wasn't okay. simple. It wasn't, like a, it wasn't a single fishing pole. It was nets. It was gross, hard work. Fish are gross. Okay? You ever been to, like, a fish market, an open-air fish market in New York City? You seen that? Like, Yesterday, it smells. It's gross. Um, fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. They're tired. They're exhausted. They smell, and they are working hard to clean their nets. And then Jesus does what? Hey, I'm going to use your boat here. They're like, oh, yeah, what? I just, I just parked it. I just parked it. Why do you want it? And you, I can just, I can just hear Simon Peter like, "Oh, come on! I've been up all night." Because when do you fish? When it's dark, when it's cool, and in the morning, fish don't really bite. It's not really the time. Well, in this time of day, when he's talking, they're done with their fishing. They are they professional fishermen? Yes. Do they know what they're doing? Yeah. Yes. Wait, is it Simon or Simon Peter? Same, Simon Peter. Bro. Simon Peter. That's his name. Simeon. Is his uh, in P- P- Simeon was his I think his Hebrew name and Peter was his Greek name. Yeah, so they like they do this all the time. People do this all the time in that in that time frame. Okay, so whenever we talk about Simon, we talk about Simon Peter. That's correct. Always? No, because there's also Simon the Sorcerer. <laughs> but they'll tell you. The Bible tells you. It says Simon the Sorcerer or Simon the Zealot. Yeah, it have. You you can do that. Okay, let's keep going. We're only on the first three verses. <laughs> the story yet um, so Jesus yeah oh so this is why you don't get anything covered I get it now okay um, he asked him to put out a little oh, from the land I, I think that's kind of funny put out a little just a little Simon he's like alright alright just a little and so Jesus gets in the boat he sits down he teaches the people from the boat probably Simon's right there he is right there we know that he's right there from the Bible so he's sitting there, and Jesus is teaching. And I think you're right. It's kind of a, a pragmatic approach. He has to teach the people, and he's being pushed around. So he's like, here, if I get off in the boat in the water, people can kind of make a natural amphitheater, and I can be in this little cove area and talk to people, and they can all hear me, and there's enough, so, there's enough distance so that I can teach. And so Jesus is doing this, okay? Let me see if there are any notes I had that... Um, yes. I thought Simon Peter was a disciple. Not yet. We're getting there. We're getting there. See earlier, like these are not. What else? What else do you see? What else do you see about his use of this? What else do you see here? What, kind of what Albert was saying is that he uses something very common to accomplish something. He asked him. 
He did ask him, absolutely. He asked him to put out a little from the land. He was kind, he was polite, but he, he, what is he, he's using a boat. Now, we tend to think of boats and rivers as being nice and luxurious. In fact, there, there are these uh, river walk and all that is being developed right now in Rock Hill over on the river. And like 50, 60 years ago, that would have been considered absurd because the river was for transporting stuff. It's kind of gross. The rivers sometimes were polluted. They weren't like, it wasn't like a place you wanted to hang. I mean, if you do any, if you do any reading, it's interesting that, that, that we tend to think of boats as being, oh, it's so nice and pretty. And, you know, but, but it's not. I mean, in this time, it was, it was a piece of work, labor. It was, it was a, a machine, machinery for work. So Jesus is using something common, using something that is simple to accomplish. His ends. And we'll get more on that in just a minute, okay? So let's look at Jesus' miracle. <coughs> oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, probably did. Yeah. That's why I said I kind of laugh out a little ways, like as if it's no big deal, but it is it is a big deal. So Jesus is teaching. What does this passage feel to us about him? Uh what or who did Jesus choose to use in order to accomplish his purpose? He chose to use a boat and a fisherman. Okay, these are simple people, simple things. Um, just take notes as you like. So here's what happens. Here's Jesus' miracle. Or I'm sorry. Yeah, so the first part is Jesus' com- command. <coughs> it says in verse 4. Who wants to read verses 4 and 5? Okay, go ahead, Alex. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let... Yeah, sorry. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. All right, so you have your thing in front of you. What does Jesus command the men to do after he's done teaching? Go out further than they already are. What do you make of it? I, I can just see, like, I, I put myself in Simon's shoes. Here's this guy, okay? He's, what does Jesus do for a living? He was a carpenter, but now he walks around and teaches. He's a talker. He's a preacher. He's a rabbi. He, uh, people give him stuff. He's not a fisherman. Simon's a fisherman. And he says, hey, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. It's like the guy he wants to do a ride along with a cop. <laughs> Not being disrespectful, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, do you really, like, do you want to see, like, you want to see this in action? Like, what's the, and you can almost hear it in his voice, master, that's a kind word, but it's not like a, a, a worshipful word. It's just like, sir, we toiled all night, toiled, labored. Worked hard all night and took nothing. Look, if night, if you want to go on a ride along, now is not the time, Jesus. <laughs> There's nothing out there. It's going to be the worst ride along ever. Okay? There's nothing. We did this all night, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Put your nets down to get some fish. It's like, 
what you're saying doesn't make sense because we've already tried everything. You're exactly right. Saying that, you know, put your nets down and when you see the verse, it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, oh, you got to wait there. You got to wait because you got to take it one at a time. See, he, he, um, remember what they just finished doing. What did they finish doing? They just finished cleaning the nets. Washing their nets. I, I would have been real mad. I'd have been like, I just washed them. So, so. <laughs> It's like when your wife, my wife, finishes doing the dishes, and what do I do? I make another, I make another bowl of ice cream or another sandwich. Yes. Okay, and this is also in the middle of the day when you are not supposed to fish. Exactly. This is not the right time. You think these guys know what they're doing? Absolutely. So everything is contrary to what common sense would tell you, but then Jesus doesn't go along. You're getting there because the point is that when God works, I'm kind of, kind of jump ahead of myself here for a minute because I want you to notice this theme. This is a theme in the Bible. When God works, he wants the glory for what happens. And you'll notice that God uses very unlikely people to do his work. From Abraham, who was 100 years old when he had his first child and his wife was 90 and her womb was dead. And she says, I can't have a baby. When Jesus, God says, you're going to have a baby and she's 90 and she laughs. That's why Isaac means laughter because she thinks this is a ridiculous idea and it is. But God wants people to know, hey, I, do what I, want. I am going to have the glory. When God does great things through Israel, when Israel comes through the con- to conquer Canaan and they conquer Jericho, it'd be like the city of Chester rising up against New York City. <laughs> it's like, really? I know, I pick on, see, Kayla's giving me the look like, why do you always pick on Chester? I always pick on Chester. Because you know it, and it just is a good punchline. But, um, <laughs> but th- God uses unlikely things. And here he says, put into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night, and we just finished washing our nets, and I don't want to take them out and get them dirty again. I took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. I will do what you ask me to do begrudgingly. (laughs) Not happy about it, but I'll do it. And let me just say something here. Some people think you have to have completely pure motives to be obedient. It's like, well, if I'm not totally into it, I'm just going to do what I want to do. If I don't want to obey God unless I have to completely obey God with all my heart. Guess what? Sometimes it's, it's, okay. it's, it's better to obey God with a bad attitude than not obey God at all. And here, there's a little bit of faith. Not much. But Jesus says faith is big as a mustard seed. You can move that mountain. It's not a matter of how big your faith is. It's a matter of if you have faith or not. And here, if you had not put down the nets, what happens next is not going to happen. Didn't matter how much he put down the nets, he put down the nets. He did it. He did what he was supposed to do. They knew the opportune time for fishing. Uh, when it was, it wasn't then. They had spent the whole night and caught nothing. Um, I've said all these things. What does this show? What does this show? He says, look, at your word, I will let down the nets. What does this show about Simon? He has faith in Jesus. He has trust. He'll do it. He might do it. He might be hedging a little bit. He might be like, well, I'm not expecting anything, but he will do it. So we get some results. Here are the results. <coughs> Let's see here. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. I don't know. What a great picture. Would I be about that though? You just broke my net that I You just caught fly. a year's worth of food, is what you just did. <laughs> You're my boat. Oh, okay. It's like it's like you spent all night 
working and working and nothing's happening and you're frustrated and you're mad and you just waste it. I mean, no profit. It's not like they're getting salary. Okay? They sell the fish. They make the fish. That's, that's how they live their life. And they have nothing to show for a whole night of work. They go out with Jesus. Jesus says, do this. They begrudgingly do it. All of a sudden, it's like, whoa. And they're pulling in their nets, and they are full. And they're like, come on, help us. They fill their boats with fish. They're flopping around. They're doing stuff so much that their boats are starting to sink. And they're thinking to themselves, this is unbelievable. God did something terrific. God did something amazing. The results of obeying Jesus overwhelms them. They had not been able to catch anything, and now they can catch, they can catch more than they can physically handle. What do they learn from this? Don't underestimate Jesus. <coughs> okay, don't underestimate Jesus. God will reward you if you obey him. God will reward you if you obey him, all right? There's a, a reason a reason for what he does. Yeah, sometimes things don't initially make sense, but there's a reason why God is doing it. What else? Yeah? He's not sending us up to fail. That's good. We sometimes think, well, if I obey God, this is going to make me look stupid. Oh. They're not looking stupid with two boats full. Now, they might be looking stupid trying to keep their boats, uh, you know, from sinking. But you know, yeah, exactly. God's not setting us up to fail. He's, he's setting us up for success. How about this? Jesus has power not only of the spiritual realm where he's casting out demons. He has power over fish. He can make it happen. Um, and we'll come back to this in just a second. There's more to it than just that, though. There is more to it, and I really hope we get there because I want to get there. Let's talk one last thing here is that um, we'll get there in a second. What did Simon Peter do? What was his response? The blank there is Jesus worshipped. Worship. Jesus is worshipped. Okay, notice what happened. Simon Peter saw it. He fell down to Jesus' knees. And what was his response? Somebody read it. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He sees God, and what's his response? Humility. Humility. Repentance. I'm not worthy. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. There is... um, Why do you think Simon worshipped so quickly? Look at the verse earlier. How did Jesus? How was he addressing Jesus earlier? He already called master. Call him master. What does he call him now? Uh, Lord. Ah, oh. see that? It's a change. Kurios. Kurios is the Greek word Lord. It's the word in the Old Testament used for the covenant name of God, Jehovah. And he he recognizes who he's dealing with here. This is not just a normal man. This is Lord. So this is this is huge. Peter's the first man to kneel down and say, you're a Lord. And he immediately recognizes who he is. When you guys, when you see who, who God is, when you have a full understanding of who God is, you recognize how sinful you are. Well, if, you, if you in the back of your mind think I'm really not that bad, then you, well, part of the problem is, is that you really don't have a full view of who God is. Because when you do, when you recognize who God is and how powerful he is, this is your response. Depart from me, for I am a sinful person, O oh Lord. Now, Jesus' response, though, is not get out of here. It's, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you for great things. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. 
Don't be worried. I'm going to, you're going to catch, that is to capture alive, like fishing. You're going to be a fisher of people. You know how you fish for, fish for fish? You're going to be fishing for people. That's what Jesus tells them. Now, can you think of any other studies we've done that talk about worship? Maybe last week, did we talk at all about worship? Maybe somebody tempted somebody to worship and something happened. Yes? Satan tempted Jesus to worship him. He was like, I'll give you all this. And what did Jesus... This is like, no, fam, because the Bible says I only worship God. Okay. The Bible says, you shall only worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. What is... What is Correct. I'm just, I'm following up. I'm putting it a little more of the King's English here. Um, what, what, um, what does Simon Peter do? Who deserves worship? God alone. Okay, so he's recognizing that Jesus is also God. Exactly. Because, notice, he's worshiping him. He falls down on his knees. Depart from me, he calls him Lord. And not only this... His worship, his falling down and prostrating himself is, is something, whenever that happens in the, in, the, in the Bible, to anyone other than Jesus, they reject that worship. Angels, whenever people bow down to angels, they say, get up. You don't worship me, you worship the Lord. Jesus always accepts worship. And I have a bunch of verses that talk about that. Yes? They believe all sorts of different things. Oh, okay. There are there are as many ideas about what Jews believe as there are Jews. <laughs> that wasn't anti-Semitic, I promise. That's just historical. So let's. Um, lastly, Jesus followed. So when they brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and they followed him. Now, I want to to address something really interesting here. The theme is that God will use common people to do great things. I can just have this written out for you. Jesus calls us to be the real disciples because he wants to use simple or common people to accomplish great things for him. And you and I are those common people. And just like Simon Peter was a common man and he did something that was unusual, God is going to give him something great. But I want to point your attention because there's more going on here. Jesus wasn't just saying, hey, look at me, look how special I am, and look how cool I am. I can make fish appear out of nowhere. Why would he choose to use fish? What's the deal with making a bunch of fish show up? Yes? Because it's like the bread is the livelihood of all these people. That's what they live off of. Okay, yeah, it's part of it. Yes, ma'am. Um, also, um, Jesus was showing up, even though you struggled with this last night, I'm providing for you now. Very good. And I'll provide for you in the future, whether it be like hard at some times. Like, I, I will always be able to provide for you. That's good, yeah. Yes? Good question. I have an answer for you. Would you like share? I'm waiting to see. Jesus is often symbolized as a fish. Yeah, the reason that is is because the word fish is ichthus. And um, ich, that's a theta. You guys know? Yeah. Ichthus, which is Jesus, Jesus, Christos. Actually, it's, it's a key. Ich, God. The, the word ichthus is fish in, in Greek. And so... A key, a chi, a chi. 
tie. Key is really what it is. The Greek word ichthus is fish. And so this is there was a symbol. So Jesus, Yesu, Christos, God, Son, Savior is what that represents. So in case you're curious. That's the way Huios uh, Savior is starts with an S. I didn't want to get too too that's not what I that's not where I was going. That's not where I was going, I was just answering his question. So where where the fish come in is he, in two passages real quick and, and then I want I'll be done. Actually two or three. Um, Ezekiel forty seven and Zechariah fourteen. I have these written out. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I put a couple of these on the on the text. There uh, there is a there are two prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about the end times coming, talk about the day of the Lord. And when they talk about the day of the Lord, they talk about something very specific. In Zechariah 14, it says that that uh, that the the mount God, the mount of God, will be split, and that rivers will flow from the temple. Um, let me draw a map. That you you have your uh, holy land here. It looks something like that, and you've got the Nile River down here. You've got the Sea of Galilee here. You've got the Dead Sea here, and Jer- Jerusalem is about right there. And what the Bible says is that in the end times that the, the mount of God will be split and there will be a river that will flow to the Great Sea and to the Jordan River. And that it will purify the rivers. And that these rivers will now uh, be clean. Anything, anybody know anything about the Dead Sea? Full salt. Things don't live there. Uh, it's little, some little thing. Yeah, everything goes into it. It's the lowest point. So this area right here is very, very um, uh, gross and dirty and it has no, cannot support life. And, and this is really important because what happens in Ezekiel chapter 47, and God is talking to Ezekiel, and he, he's telling him a prophecy of the future. He says, Son of man, have you seen this? And he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. I said, That is exactly what I was drawing for you. Okay? When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. Interesting. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And what? There will be many, very many fish. It's a really weird detail. And I don't know exactly how this is all connected. I think this is a definite thing that's going to actually happen one day in the future. But Jesus is giving you a glimpse of something that is coming. By all of a sudden, this enormous swarm of fish... And I think their mind goes to this. And also in Zechariah, 4, Zechariah 14, this happens as well, if you want to turn there. But it doesn't have the fish part, but it does talk about the, the waters and the, and the purity of the waters. And this is happening. And, and, and it's more so, fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to uh, Egalim or wherever. It will be a place for the spreading of the nets. This is really interesting, really interesting prophecy that has to do with the end times. And this hasn't been fulfilled yet. But Jesus, in all of his prophecies, gives us a hint of something that's to come. And I think that's why Jesus factors into, the fish factor into Jesus' ministry so often. One more detail, and that is uh, actually two more details. First, uh, I'm going to go John 21. This is John 21. If you want to turn there, you can. But at the very end of Jesus' ministry, after he's resurrected from the dead, he returns, and he's in his glorified body. He shows up on the, um, on the beach, and he calls out to Simon, who's gone back to fishing. And what does he say? Cast your nets on the other side. And what does Simon know immediately? They catch a fish, and it's the Lord. Jesus does, at the beginning and at the end of his ministry, does the same miracle of catching lots of fish. 
And I, I don't know exactly why, but I think it's connected to this idea of he's giving you a glimpse that there's a future coming. Lastly, Acts chapter 2. If you want to turn there, you can. But Acts chapter 2 is the fulfillment initially of how Jesus says you're going to have such a tremendous number of people. Um, they, uh, it's, it is um, Peter, the same Simon Peter. They're anointed with the Holy Spirit to preach in different languages. Verse 14, Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised up his voice, declared to them, Men of Judah, all you who live in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give heed to my words. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And he gives a, a quote here, and he says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. And for you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it is impossible for him to be held by its power. And then if you skip down to um, verse 37, when they heard this, they were, or back to 36, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in that day, there were thousands that came to Christ. The fish represented the people. And Christ is saying, look, you go fish for men and you do it my way. It's going to be overflowing. When we do things for Christ and we follow Jesus as disciples of Christ, God gives things that we never could imagine. It'd be so much greater and so much bigger than if we just try to do it our own way. I hope this is an encouragement to you. I hope this is exciting to you. And I hope they encourage you to be a disciple of Jesus as you go forward. I know you might have some questions, but we don't really have time to discuss in a big group. So we're going to close the word of prayer and then feel free to hang out as long as possible. I'll be up here if you want to talk and uh, grab some more food on your way out the door. If not, it'll be just given to other people in digs. So thanks for your good attention tonight and for your good participation. Lord, thank you for this passage of scripture. I pray you'd help us to live with excitement, knowing that you've called us to be your disciples and that by being your disciples, we can live a fulfilling life of excitement, knowing that we're doing your will and you will do great things that we never could even imagine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys and girls.